It's time once again for everybody to come aboard the EFL train. On this week's show, we're giving props to Coventry's specials new kit, inspired by Two-Tone in the season the Rico is coming like a ghost town. Elsewhere, a message to you, Reading. Just because Mark Bowen says you should appoint Mark Bowen doesn't mean you have to appoint Mark Bowen. Meanwhile, Derby's drunk drivers had much too much, much too young, but avoid a prison sentence, and the managerial rat race continues to baffle as numerous positions remain unfulfilled. This is the Totally Football League Show. Yes, hi gang. Whether you're a first-timer or a long-timer, you're more than welcome to join us for our weekly rundown of all things Football League. I'm Matt Davis-Adams, man at CNA. I'm out of specials puns now. You'll be relieved to know that that one is alarmingly accurate. No Adrian Clark this week. He's busy at Legoland checking out Duplo Valley, presumably. In his stead, Abby's gone for a very risky booking. <coughs> yes, in the yellow corner, making his first appearance of the season. He's part of the EFL on Quest team. Sigh. He's also a regular on Soccer Saturday, TalkSport and plenty of other places in between. Oxford United supporter and broadcaster extraordinaire. Welcome back, Simon Watts. Thanks for having me. You're very welcome. And in the red corner, if his sass mouth at yesterday's weigh-in is anything to go by, we're in for a gruelling slugfest. Swindon Town Hall of Famer. He cheated on us very publicly with another EFL podcaster on Saturday night. But like Hillary Clinton, we'll take him back because it's good for the brand. 19 years and a day since he gave Millwall an early lead in a 1-1 draw with Bristol City. He's back with us. Good morning, Sam Parkin. That was an own goal, actually. Not according to Soccer Base. You don't want it? On TV, it looks 100% my goal. It was a weird illusion. But that goal is actually Keith Millen's. Remember him? I did Managed remember Bristol him. City for a bit, didn't he? Mm. Uh, I'll show you. It's incredible. Yeah, you're all right. <laughs> uh, finally, having made it back from Scotland, where he was hopefully persuading Rod Stewart to do the draw for the next round of the Scottish Cup, from William Hill, it's Joe Crilly. Good morning. Hi. Right, introduction's done. Let's get to the championship. You're listening to the Totally Football League show in association with William Hill to the EFL's headline at them, where the headlines are. Reading Sporting Director Mark Bowen, who, to borrow a wrestling phrase, is a mark for himself, appoints Mark Bowen as Reading's new manager. Leeds can beat Man City, apparently, if they get a ton of money and the same investors as PSG. By that logic, so can literally any other football club. And Derby's Tom Lawrence and Mason Bennett are sentenced to unpaid work, a 12-month community order and a 24-month driving ban after being found guilty of drink driving. Let's start, though, at the Madstad, where the majority of Reading supporters are far from mad glad at the appointment of Mark Bowen as manager. Uh, the replies on Twitter to the announcement was something else. Tom Moore, 0506, with one of the more measured responses. He says, don't want to read more. I've read enough to make me want to throw up. Um, <laughs> Simon, can you think of something positive about this appointment? Not really. I've never seen anything like it in terms of the absolute like 99.9% of everybody responding to the appointment seemed pretty negative about it. I mean, you do wonder what the approach at Reading is, don't you, with the appointments they've made. I mean, Yap Stam was a bit of a left field one. They like to go uh, down the kind of random route with the appointments. That one worked out. But since then, I mean, Paul Clement on paper looked like it could work. It didn't. Jose Gomez was a completely random appointment. And, you know, speaking to some Reading supporters and actually watching that game against Bristol City, their last match, they didn't actually play like a team that had given up on their manager. You know, they didn't play too badly. But I think, you know, it's a bit of a balmy football club. I look at some of the players who had just been completely and utterly frozen out there. Gareth McCleary, Sam Baldock, Chris Gunter experienced players that in a situation like they're in, you would imagine at some stage they would have called upon. Now, whether that was Jose Gomez's decision or maybe from the man above who's now the manager, uh, we'll find out in the next couple of weeks if they're reintroduced, I suppose. But I look at their situation now and think 
this is a football club who are really going to be staring over their shoulder. I know he was talking about don't want to set expectations, but didn't kind of rule out the playoffs in his first interview. But I think that's very, very ambitious. Sam, Sparky would work as a nickname for you. Uh, it is a nickname for Mark Hughes. S. Parking. Oh, yeah. Sparky. Oh, yeah. Um, it is a nickname for Mark Hughes. We, we were kind of saying that he was going to get the job. Do you think maybe he changed his mind last minute and then they panicked and thought, we'll give it to Mark Bone? Because they, they come as a two normally. They, they do. No idea on, on that, Matt, to be honest, if Mark Hughes would have been interested. But it's almost as if you, if you had that role, director of football, technical director, and there was maybe an opening... You would just say, no, it just looks ridiculous. Kenny Dalglish did it, didn't he? It, yeah, it's Kenny Dalglish, isn't it? I yeah. Mean, and Mark Bowen's not, I don't think... Never managed. Uh, never, yeah, he's never managed. Um, I don't want to be too down on him because obviously we need to give him an opportunity. Uh, Eddie Nedsvick, is going to be his number two, who I worked with a long time ago and, and know reasonably well. He's a lovely man, isn't he? I've met him a couple of times. Uh, Eddie's all right, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Eddie's good, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, he was a particularly harsh reserve manager when I first came across him. And then, yeah, he could hand out a uh, bollocking or two. But yeah, I don't want to be too harsh on him now, but it seems like a very peculiar appointment. And as Simon says, it looks like a few of the players that have been out of the fray are going to be reintroduced. In terms of style of play, um, I think under Gomez, they obviously had quite a lot of the ball, but he tried to play with purpose and get, get, get forward quickly as well. So I would have persevered a little bit longer. What were they like uh, at Stoke? I suppose a little bit back to front and they tried to evolve over time by introducing the likes of Shakiri and other foreign players. So, you know, let's not, uh, you know, maybe envisage them being old school, if you like. Mark Bowen's coached top players in the Premier League. Let's give him an opportunity now. But I, I have to concur. It's uh, a strange one and one that on the face of it, you can understand that the Reading fans aren't best pleased. Okay, well, I've thought of some positives um, just to finish this. He's had time to get to know the club and the squad. He'll be keen to prove himself in his first role. And his middle name's Roslyn, which is um, unusual. So maybe that'll help him in some way. His first assignment, home game against high-flying Preston on Saturday. We'll get into those weekend matches shortly. But I just wanted to touch briefly on the Millwall situation as we record on Wednesday morning, still without a manager. But Gareth Ainsworth is the new favourite. His tactic of knocking on the door of every EFL club without a manager and saying I'll do it for you might yet bear fruit doesn't feel like a natural fit potentially it's quite a step up isn't it from from Wickham to Millwall and and you're not sure Sam whether it's the easiest job for anybody to go into at the moment it's all academic really but I just thought Gareth Ainsworth to Lincoln was perfect um, where he is in his career where Lincoln are at the ties between the two obviously he's a a big fan favourite there. That's not happened. Millwall, I think the type of player he was, uh, aggressive on the front foot, the type of manager he is as well. There's certain things about it that I see being a perfect fit. But I think it's a very difficult job, yeah. If you've not got that Millwall history, if you've not been a player at the club, I think it's a difficult job. But of all the styles of the managers that have been banded around, I think he's probably one of the best fits. So I wouldn't be surprised. I know Gary Rowett's, I think, short in the odds as well. I think Gary Rowett, by his his own admission, isn't that kind of front foot manager that goes after games to outscore teams. So if we're talking about those two, maybe Ainsworth's a slightly better fit. Kind of feels to me, Simon, like the kind of job, because it is a unique club and because of where they are in the league, you want somebody with championship experience for that job 
this season, even if it was only until the end of the season, it'd be a risk to go for, for a manager from a lower league. Maybe managerially, but then you look at it the other way. Gareth Ainsworth spent most of his playing career at kind of championship level until the last couple of years that he saw out at Wickham. So I think that he could make it work. It's the fact that, you know, as Sam says, that the way that he gets Wickham playing, they're full-blooded. He gets absolutely everything out of the players on the resources he's got. And it's a step up a level, but it's not too dissimilar a circumstance in that he's going into a team like Wickham in League One in the championship who are working on a lower end budget. They're going to have to work the transfer market acutely in order to get the best kind of players in the budget that they've got in. And I think Millwall fans, they want a certain style of football. It's probably why Neil Harris was there and so successful for so long. I think when he, with any other manager, they maybe wouldn't have accepted that. With any other football club, they might not have accepted that. And I just wonder whether with that, Gareth Ainsworth is, is a better fit to the way the Millwall fans want full-blooded football. They like their wingers. They like two strong strikers. They like a strong team. And, and you know, that is kind of how Gareth Ainsworth has moulded his Wickham team over the last two or three years. So in that respect, I think certainly for him, it's a better fit than, say, the Sunderland job. If you're looking to get out of Wickham at the nearest opportunity... I'd almost say that Millwall, even though Sunderland have obviously got you know great resources, bigger crowds, etc. For him, it's probably a better fit. Joe, William Hill rarely get it wrong. What what are the odds saying Millwall job wise this oh. morning? At what are we? Well, you're correct. In, you're you're correct in saying that um, Gareth Ainsworth is the favourite. He's ver- a very recent favourite. He's the even money uh, favourite to get the job. Gary Rowett, the manager there with the Championship experience, is the three to one second favourite with Tim Cahill. 8-1, he'd certainly be a fan's favourite. Um, so you've kind of got the full spectrum of managers there in the top three. You've got the experienced lower league manager, you've got the experienced championship manager, and you've got the fan's favourite. just wanted to say Adam Barrett obviously got the victory last time out. He's been linked heavily to the South End job as well. I'd be very surprised if he doesn't get one or the other because I think he's done his apprenticeship. He's a, clearly a, a big favourite at South End. He's worked under Neil Harris, so he probably knows the, f- the recent flaws in that team. So I think maybe the delay could have something to be with him being in the fray as well. All right, well, we shall see, or you've probably already seen by the time you listen to this. Now, the eagle-eyed amongst you will have noticed that it's October and also that Charlton's Lyle Taylor has got some luminous pink hair because he's raising awareness for cancer research. Uh, Here's Lyle speaking to our own Nick Miller on why he's turned his hair pink. My personal connection is my family and the the people in my family that have suffered from cancer. So they're the reason why I'd be doing this. And obviously, I've been I've been lucky enough to be given a platform whereby I can actually I can actually try and do something good. Like I've said before, there's a lot of footballers who who use this platform to to sell hats and sell clothes and, and do stuff for their own personal gain. But at the end of the day, cancer does not give a flying toss about anyone, colour, creed, religion, uh, age, anything. So I decided that I wanted to make a kind of make a visual a visual statement out of it and, and see what we could do and bring people together and create awareness and try and get everyone else involved with it, which which it seems to have done. And it's, it's bigger this year than it was last year. And who knows, maybe in the future it will be even bigger than that. It's a great colour. And whilst it may clash quite badly with the red of Charlton, it's for a fantastic cause. And Nick also asked Lyle about the events of this summer pass when Lee Bowyer almost left the club. Uh, but Taylor insisted it actually didn't have too much of a negative impact on the squad. I mean, I could say, I could say, yeah, it did have an effect, but at the end of the day, we were on holiday. So with regards to, to what happened in the summer just gone, 
it didn't affect any of us at all because the only person whose contract was being negotiated but hadn't been signed at that point was Johnny. Um, so it didn't really affect any of us. At the end of the day, we are, yes, the manager brought us all in, but we are paid and owned by the football club. We're not we're not paid by the manager and he doesn't own us kind of thing. So yes, it probably would have affected each individual differently, but it would have affected each individual if, if the manager had left. And dare I say in the future, if and when the manager leaves or any manager leaves any football club, it will affect different players in different ways. Some will find themselves in the team, some will find themselves not liked by the next guy. But we are paid to play football. So if he did leave, we would still have to get on with our job because that is our job. To read the full interview with Lyle Taylor, go to the totallyfootballshow.com. Let's have a look ahead to some of the weekend's games then. We'll start with Luton against Bristol City at Kenilworth Road. Luton start the weekend 18th, having won 3 of 11 so far. Sam, what have you made of your old club and their start to life back in the second tier under new management, lest we forget? A little bit up and down, I suppose. There's been some good um, early showings from some of the new recruits. I think Tunnicliffe... Butterfield has also impressed. Collins has continued in the in the same vein. The the conversation at the moment is dominated by the goalkeeper situation. The last game we saw saw a comical goal that he conceded Sluger against Derby. He's been away on international duty this week, not played there, and I just feel that it's probably the perfect time, given that there's been a couple of weeks without a game, to take him out of the firing line and give Young Shea an, an opportunity. I'm not 100% convinced long term that Shea's the answer but he's been given a new contract this week as of a number of the the Luton young players in recent times so I think you've got to throw him in he was pretty good last year I think it just shows you that there's more obviously to, to shot stopping now I think Sluger probably is better playing out and getting the ball restarted quickly so possibly that's why he's persevering with him because it's a more overall style thing but I think this is the correct time to give Shea an opportunity against Bristol City and, and just interestingly, they obviously been stuck to that diamond really under two managers the last couple of seasons. He deviated away from it last time out. I think that's maybe only the second time this season and played um, McManaman and Harry Cornick kind of off Collins and, and, and a little bit wider as well. So that's potentially something they could do to just get a little bit more firepower in the side because they've been playing this diamond with Collins and they another very wide in this system. And I think Collins needs to be that central player playing with his back to goal where he can sniff out opportunities so that's interesting from that perspective that Graham Jones is just starting to make one or two tweaks to that system that Nathan Jones perfected. As for Brazil Simon uh, loads of investment over the summer and it seems to be paying off for them at the moment nicely tucked in the in the playoff spots they should have ambitions of promotion this season, shouldn't they? I think so. I mean, had they not drawn as many of their recent matches, they would have been top of the table, only two points off the top. You've got to consider as well that it, it, it hasn't been the easiest start to the season for them. Some important players out injured, Jada Silva, Corey Smith, Thomas Callas, Bailey Wright, Benicophobia out for the whole season. And he was their big sort of money signing up front as well. It looks as though this week, Rodri, the former Sheffield Wednesday striker, is going to sign on a free transfer to kind of see them through till January. He was let go by Grenada so he's a free agent and it looks as though he's going to come in in the next couple of days maybe not ready for the weekend match at Luton but giving them a little bit of extra firepower up front and another important player coming back into the side as well Adam Nahaije the Hungarian international probably pronounced that completely wrong so sorry Bristol City fans but hearing a lot of good things about him as well and he's missed the last few games but I think back at the weekend as well so 
they sold Adam Webster, 22 million. I think I was told over the last two summers they made 65 million in selling players. So even though they have invested in their squad, that's money they've more than recouped back. And I think, you know, there's good vibes around the club at the minute. And I, I fancy Bristol City this weekend. I think the way they're set up probably suits them a little bit better away from home and results have kind of shown that as well. They sort of struggled to dominate games at home, whereby away, I think a team like Luton who like to, you know, kick on and, and have a go, I think they could, you know, potentially get something out of that one. But I think all things considered and, and the kind of injury list that they've got, Bristol City are really well positioned at the minute. And I think this is the season, not just in the championship. I look at League One as well. I think this is the season where there's not really one outstanding team running away with it. Sorry, Nottingham Forest by saying that. But you know, for a team like a Bristol City or a Preston, this could really be the year a, a break through yeah and the often wheeled out fact that bristol is the largest city in england never to have had a top flight club maybe that'll come to an end come may uh, forget manchester united v liverpool the big game on sunday in the northwest at the dw stadium where wigan athletic play host to the uh, two xecs sabri lamushi won championship manager of the month for september so that's something you can look back on with fondness in january when he gets the sack after forest have won one of five games no no it's, it's a new era it's not gonna not gonna happen this time and um, sam you got the plum draw when we were divvying up the games on whatsapp yesterday tell us all about how wonderful forest have been so far uh, they have appointed a new technical director and a new head of international recruitment this week too yeah i saw that i can't believe i'm talking about lamushi again it's just uh see the picture of him with his manager of the month trophy he is just gorgeous oh, i mean as you say he dresses so well just but give it, just, he's <laughs> just give him the award for the burgundy roll neck alone which is a dream first one in six years i understand that is a forest manager yeah he's on a one-year deal gong. as well you know so is maybe he? tie him down a, to a little bit longer one than that i would suggest yeah i mean i haven't seen them for a, a few weeks live but i mean it's been a continuation of what i did see at charlton especially away from home resolute defending that seemed to have a fantastic spirit and that's what needed to change I mean already won the three games away from home I think four victories they had last year five in 2017-18 so they're already going to blow those type of records um not records but out the out the water so 12 points from that possible 18 away from home and um this weekend a couple of injury doubts Dawson and and so who I think have been are really good, but obviously it's Ben Watson who's been the one in the last couple of home games who obviously gives you that platform defensively, which is really important. And he got a bit of a, a chasing at Charlton that night I was there um, and I felt there was going to be a huge onus on him to be the defensive shield on that side. And he's not only providing that and he's brilliant with the ball, but he's popped up with a couple of crucial goals as well. So the concern is going to be moving forward. No qualms about them defensively now. Uh, and they're spirited, uh, Worrell and, and Dawson obviously defend the box brilliantly, but are they going to get enough goals? And I think Graben is clearly a very good championship striker, but the reliance on him, I think, is maybe where they're going to fall short. I think January, they'll have to bring someone in to supplement Graben and uh, Rafa Mir, isn't it, is the other one, who have been paired at times, but that would be my one concern for Forrest, although it's been a, a brilliant start and, and unbeaten since the opening day. Yeah, and I think that's probably why they've got this um, new head of recruitment in looking at, at January and getting a striker. Um, as for the Latics, Simon, we, we suspected it might be a season of struggle for them. Certainly looked that way when they went seven without a win in League and Cup. But two wins from their last four, 
Paul Cook not going anywhere, according to the club. Um, maybe the tide is turning a bit. Yeah, maybe. I mean, my concern for them, you talk about Forrest with goals as well. I mean, Wigan, I just don't really see where the goals are coming from at all. I mean, set pieces seem like their biggest weapon at the minute with Charlie Mulgrew's delivery. Shea Dunkley, their top scorer with three goals. But then after him, no one else has scored more than one in the league, which I think tells its own story. I mean, they're a bit of a much of a muchness team, I would say, this year. I think they'll probably be all right as long as Paul Cook stays because... The sort of manager he is, I think he'll he'll know how many points he needs and he'll probably get them over the line. Their home form's been all right this year. They've beaten the teams they would have expected to beat this year. But any ambitions of anything higher, I think probably not this year for Wigan, really. Abby has asked me to point out for new listeners what two XCCs means. It means two-time European champions. Forrest won the European Cup twice. If you need a way to remember that, just think of it as double the amount of European Cups that London have won. Let's get some odds, Joe Crilly. Not on Forrest winning the Champions League yet, but on Luton versus Bristol City. Simon fancies an away win. What would you give me for that? Uh, the away win is 8-5, to five, which makes them ever so slightly outsiders to win this but by the smallest of margins Luton are 31 to 20 to win the game uh, Bristol City are 8 to 5 which equates to 32 to 20 so very very close there so it may be worth looking at the draw down the middle at 13 to 5 um, my boys on Sunday dreadful record on on telly generally um, what would you give me on the Forest win never won at Wigan either and play there very much <laughs> <laughs> Sunday's the day I think so Forrester favourites to win, 6-4, to four. Wigan 15-8, to eight. so only a, a couple of points or half a point bigger there. And the draw, 23-10. to 10. And we were talking about Reading. Mark Bowen isn't ruling out the playoffs. Uh, we're a bit more negative. What will you give me on them to avoid relegation? They're massively odds on to avoid relegation. They're 11-4 to four to go down, so 1-4 to four to stay up. And if you want to back them to get promoted, 40-1. to one. All right, that's the championship done. Big weekend ahead. You could say the same about League One, which is our next port of call. This is the Totally Football League Show with Matt Davis-Adams. To the EFL's overlooked middle child then, the Lisa Simpson of English football, if you will. Uh, your headlines in the bottom of the table clash between Southend, contractual mention tick. It was Wimbledon who came out on top 4-1 the result. Henrik Larsson is a no-go though, but plot twist, Tommy Johnson is the real villain here. More on that imminently. Elsewhere, Peterborough had the top scorer in English football after Ivan Tony knocked in his 10th goal of the campaign. Joint second on nine is another posh striker, Mohamed Issa. Although, as Simon is with us, we should say Oxford are the top scoring team in English football. Goals galore in League One. Uh, before we get on to managerial news, Simon, you've got to be, be pretty happy with that. I know it's taken Carl Robinson a while to kind of win over the Oxford fans, but he probably has now. Yeah, and I think we sat here on New Year's Day talking about we've just lost 3-0 at Plymouth, uh, second bottom in the table, and I think you did a straw poll then. If you had, you'd have had vast majority of supporters wanting Carl Robinson out. And I look at teams like Walsall, Scunthorpe with Daryl Clark and Paul Hurst going in there this summer and maybe not having the start to life under an experienced manager that they would have expected. And I just think it's one, you know, to look at and say, actually, you know, contrary to the supporters' opinion, the club stuck with the manager and now he's in his second full season in charge. Last year, yeah, was a bit of a write-off, but the transfer business in the summer was a lot better. He's had a lot of time to sort things out off the pitch that needed sorting out behind the scenes. 
and they're reaping the rewards now. I mean, it is early days, and I think like most teams in League One, we're probably one or two injuries away from that form slumping, and we have got a couple of players like Ben Woodburn out till the new year, but at the minute, it's the style of football they're playing as well, which excites me, and so you've got to live for the moment, really, and yeah, we've not had a lot to cheer in the last two or three years, so, you know, it's really enjoyable stuff, and I just think it's just reward for sticking with your manager, because a lot of chairmen would have got rid of Carl Robinson at the beginning of 2019. Bit of breaking news this morning. The winding up petition for Berry has been adjourned for 14 days at the High Court. This morning, it just drags on and on and on, as do League One team searches for new managers. Uh, Sunderland, still no new gaffer at the time of recording, nor new owners, but we're hearing Phil Parkinson is the current front runner for that. Gareth Ainsworth, having had an interview already, we'll get onto that shortly. Immediate reaction, Sam, Phil Parkinson, is he big enough to fill the uh, fill the dugout at Stadium of Light? Figuratively, of course, <laughs> not literally. He's not Steve Evans. Yeah, I, I don't see why not. That's the type of job he'll be, he'll be looking for. I know that he didn't fancy the South End role. And uh, no, I think he deserves another opportunity. Type of football, it's just so difficult when you look at Sunderland at the moment. I mean, we say it every week, but they've got so many players that are underachieving it's going to be fascinating to see if a manager can immediately turn around their fortunes. I think on the face of it, Nigel Pearson and with Kevin Phillips looks perfect to me. The experience that Pearson's got at getting a big club out of League One, I think he did with Leicester, really got them motor in. Phillips, don't need me to tell you about him and his relationship with Sunderland. That looks perfect. But yeah, I mean, Phil Parkinson, I think is a tough manager I think he'll go in there and he will rollick a few players he'll get people working hard for the club type of football I'm not so sure um, you know it is a little bit back to front Joe looking at me there traditionally under Parkinson and that's been the big complaint from the Sunderland supporters that it has been too defensive and um, you know not getting the best out of some of their talented players so we'll have to see but I wouldn't be surprised with either of them I wouldn't be disappointed if it was Parkinson or Pearson. Uh, South M wise, so it's, so it's not Henrik Larsson. It might be Sol Campbell. Uh, the Shrimp has put out a lengthy and fairly sulky statement on Tuesday confirming that Henrik Larsson's proposed appointment was off. It's listed as a club statement, but the fact it's written in the first person suggests it was penned by Chairman Ron Martin, who basically says terms were agreed with Larsson, Johan Mialbi, who would have worked as his assistant, and Tommy Johnson, another former Celtic player who was marked for the job of head of recruitment. It seems Johnson was the one who got cold feet. This is from the statement. I've said previously that a week is a long time in politics, and thanks to Tommy Johnson, 24 hours has proved a very long time in football. I don't think it was he who said a week's a long time in politics, so certainly not first. We're joined now by South End supporter and drummer for the band Boxer Rebellion, Piers Hewitt. Piers, thanks for talking to us. So it's not going to be Henrik Larsson as the new South End manager. How are you feeling about the, the prospect of him taking charge? I'm rather indifferent about probably all our options, actually. There were slight rumours about it being part of a consortium which could have injected some money, which in this day and age and with our chairman, who seems to have very little, was reasonably exciting. But as it as it turned out, it probably wasn't. And um, he came as part of a three-man team, including Tommy Johnson, who was head of recruitment at Forest, which I think would have been fantastic because our recruitment has been pretty horrendous. 
But Larson himself hasn't proved himself. So I, for me, I was indifferent and a lot of the fans are pretty much the same, to be honest. It's been really drawn out search for a replacement for, for Kevin Bond. I'm guessing you'd, you'd sort of like it sorted ASAP, wouldn't you? It's, it's not been going brilliantly under Gary Waddock. I kind of feel sorry for Waddock, really. I think today's the 40th day. So it's like Jesus going in the wilderness, going in, finding Bond's been sacked and coming out and finding out he hasn't been replaced, which is a long time, let me tell you. Um, and and I have, I've kind of felt like Bond was a bit of a weird appointment anyway. And, I, and I've always... I've been starting to think, well, no, I was starting to think that our season will start when we get a new manager. And even before Bond had gone, it was clear he was going. And it's taken so long, it's almost, our season's almost done with. You know, we're two or three games time, we could be, we're already seven points adrift. And we haven't even had a points deduction. So it needs to happen pretty soon. But I think yesterday's hiccup will extend it by at least another week. Piers, it's Simon here. I remember uh, speaking to Kevin Bond just after they lost somehow lost their game at Wickham at the end of August and it kind of gave you that harsh reality of what life as a manager's like because, you know, I don't think I've ever seen a manager look so absolutely beaten and crestfallen as he did after that game. You kind of knew that he was gone. It was only a matter of time, you know, when you saw him then. Uh, but of all the names who've been linked with the job, for me, from the outside looking in, Adam Barrett seems like he, he could be the best appointment, take away all the kind of big big names and everything like that, given his connections and the fact that, you know, he's been working at Millwall, so kind of knows the lower leagues pretty well. Barrett's a, Barrett's a funny one. He's obviously quite a club legend, well, a big one. He's one of the one of our more, most successful ever players. He's still very popular because it was obviously very recent. Uh, he will manage us one day. But part of me wants it to happen at the right time for him almost. I almost don't really want him to come in and have a relegation on his CV immediately. Uh, And I know a few fans that feel the same because he's held in such high regard. But we're in trouble here. I've seen enough games this season to wonder how on earth anybody could get these players playing. And somebody who galvanises the crowd in a way that Adam Barrett absolutely would... It seems as good an option as any, to be honest with you. Um, he has got knowledge of the lower leagues in that he's been in them most of his career. And he's been part of that Millwall set-up for a good 18 months or so now. I wouldn't be upset about it, put it that way. And a lot of fans, they're, they're his number one choice, and I understand that. But anybody that comes in here has got an 80% chance of having that CV, having that CV uh, slapped, or well, having a relegation slapped on it in no time. So... It's a tough one for everybody concerned, but he's in my top two. <laughs> Thanks to Piers Hewitt. Joe, odds on Southend and Sunderland jobs, what, what are they looking like at the moment? I mean, the, the Southend job looked like a done deal last night with suspended betting, uh, but now the market is back open with Sol Campbell, 5-4 to four favourite. Adam Barrett, we've already mentioned him at Millwall. Uh, he's second favourite at five to two. Then it's six to one or bigger. Uh, the rest of the field: Sunderland, Phil Parkinson, yeah, favourite one to three. He has been as short as one to ten though, so that that suggests that it perhaps isn't as much of a done deal as as people are thinking. With Gareth Ainsworth four to one, Nigel Pearson nine to one, third favourite, and Kevin Phillips sixteen to one. So Sam mentioned there uh, two names that that would probably go down quite well at the Stadium of Light. I did actually go to um, a do last week with both Nigel Pearson and Kevin Phillips there, and Phillips certainly seemed to want the main job himself. I don't think he wants to be the bridesmaid anymore. Mm. If you want to just pick those names up off the floor uh, <laughs> before we carry on. Um, weekend-wise, in terms of League One, the following games have drama written all over them. Well, the first one is D-R-A-A, written in it. There's no M in either team's name. 
I digress. Bolton versus Rochdale is the Keith Hill Derby, 23rd versus 17th. Uh, Rochdale won at the weekend against Accrington after three defeats on the spin. Bolton's still looking for that first win. They have scored just two goals and shipped 25, but they have drawn three of their last five. You've been looking at Bolton for us, Simon. Joe's been telling us it's all about next season in League Two effectively but a couple of green shoots for them over the last few weeks yeah 100 percent. i mean i think four draws in their last five if you include they played rochdale in the uh, leasing.com trophy but it's the goals that's the big problem isn't it it's the, the scoring of goals then there's so much emphasis on daryl murphy they got joe dodo in from rangers but he's probably not quite fit yet but i do think you know the best is still to come i mean all of this squad were put together in september late august basically so you know starting off steady just grinding out draws probably should have beaten Sunderland they you know they, they lost 1-0 the only game they lost down at Portsmouth against one of the teams in pre-season fancy for promotion uh, they lost 1-0 in that one but you know no disgrace in that so I think and only three goals conceded in that run as well so I think he's he started with the basics hasn't he and they just need to go and start winning some games now and I think this is a really good opportunity because yeah I know Rochdale did great against Man United in the cup and they did win last week I know but you know that is a very winnable game I think from their point of view They've got to look at this one as the first victory on the board, I think, because you know, Rochdale are, are a team that, yeah, OK, they're a little bit further down the line than, than Bolton at the minute, but but they're certainly there for the taking. Joe, are you sharing Simon's optimism at the moment? I am indeed. Um, if you look at the games that Bolton have played since Keith Hill took over, they're all games against what you would perceive as big clubs in the division or teams that are fighting at the top of the table. And aside from that first game against Rotherham, where uh, Bolton lost 6-1, They've done very well indeed. And I think a win is just over the horizon or, or probably a little bit closer than that. And yeah, I think this this weekend's game is, is an eminently winnable game. Sam, in terms of Rochdale, we all enjoy the name Brian Barry Murphy. <laughs> um, what else can you tell us about them? They'll probably be the, the one team in League One that'll be quite well prepared for Rochdale, considering it's Keith Hill and David Flickcroft. The biggest thing for Rochdale in the last fortnight is they've got some central defenders finally. Paul McShane's been signed and was excellent at the weekend alongside O'Connell, who's been missing. McNulty's been missing. And I mean, I had to double take the other day because they played away at Wimbledon and were 3-0 down at half-time. My old strike partner from Luton, Calvin Andrew, was playing centre-half. And Jimmy Keohan, who's a nice technical midfield player, was the other centre-half. So I, I couldn't believe it. I was like, what on earth is Calvin doing playing centre-half? But that just showed you the dire straits that they were in, really. So Keohen's adjusted and he's now playing at full-back. Matty Dunn's the other full-back. So they've still got problems defensively. But I think to get those two, O'Connell and McShane, together is a big bonus for him moving forward. Obviously, so heavily reliant on Ian Henderson. That's why they won't be contenders. Another brace for him last week just keeps on going incredible and he's kind of playing up by himself at the moment Wilbraham playing wide on the right hand side so in a 4-4-2 I know they've done that before with Wilbraham not entirely sure that that gets the best out of him maybe him down the middle with Henderson will be what we'll see in the weeks ahead but good side most of the ball out of all the teams in the division in terms of possession top of successful passes as well this is a team playing good football this season um, I don't see them challenging but I see them having more than enough to, to probably beat Bolton due to uh, the home side's lack of goals. 
I won't repeat the uh, gesture that Joe just gave you there. <laughs> Meanwhile, at Adams Park, Wickham versus Sunderland, second versus ninth. Uh, all the reports were that Gareth Ainsworth interviewed for the Sunderland job last week. Seems like maybe it didn't go that well, given that he may well be in the home dugout at Adams Park on Saturday when Wickham welcomed the Black Cats. Sam, all this managerial upheaval mm. can't be helpful. I know they're second in the league, but he's doing an extraordinary job of touting himself around for, for other jobs. <laughs> yeah, I don't know if it's got something to do with you know what's going on at board level. Obviously, it's a big couple of weeks for, for Wickham. I think Gareth was very open with us a few weeks ago that the club needs investment. You know, needs a little bit of help if they're going to maintain what they're producing at the moment. Um, I don't know. They're very down to earth club, Wickham, and I think that's important when they're signing players. I don't think there'll be too much upheaval and uncertainty. I think they'll be focusing on the game. They've had a couple of weeks, I think, well, it's certainly ten days to prepare for this one, and there's no love lost between. Wickham and Sunderland, if you cast your minds back to last season, was three red cards in injury time at Adams Park. A really bad tackle as well from Marcus Bean on Watmore, who'd been injured prior to that and then missed games because of that challenge. So I don't think the Sunderland fans are particularly enamoured with the way that Wickham set up and play. But maybe they've evolved a bit more this year and are playing a little bit more football. And I believe that the two wide players, if it is Onyedimma and Wheeler, they could hold the key considering how poor Sunderland are in the fullback area. I think that's something that should have been dealt with in the summer. And I think that's one of the ingredients as to why Jack Ross has, has struggled this year. I think they've been really poor at fullback. Centre-half's not an issue now, I don't think, with Lynch and Willis, who are performing pretty well. But I think Wickham on the counter-attack potentially could cause... Um, Sunderland a lot of problems with those wide boys. Simon, we've spoken about the Sunderland managerial situation ad nauseum. I'm just looking at their results. Actually, they're not that bad. That defeat at Lincoln was a bit of an eyesore for them last time out. But but other than that, they've only lost one game this season. They, they start the weekend in ninth, but whoever does take over on, on the pitch, there's the, the nucleus of a, of a squad more than capable of getting promotion. I think that is, is the big problem with Sunderland. Just, they just haven't got the best out of the squad that's available to them. I found this stat this week, which is pretty crazy. Only Bolton, sorry, Joe, but this is understandable given the you know the way they started the season with their youth team and everything. And then Southend, who've obviously had an absolutely nightmarish start to the season, have had fewer shots per game than Sunderland this season. So they, with the players at their disposal and their attacking players at their disposal, you know, a four million pound or three million pound striker, Will Grigg, who's, you know, not even starting at the moment, you know, that is the big problem, isn't it? And, you know, this this trend of drawing too many games, not killing teams off with the players that they got and that's probably my only concern I, I know we've to talked about the managerial thing at the moment maybe with Phil Parkinson whether he would you know change that whereas you think you know with Kevin Phillips coming in with Nigel Pearson surely that would have an impact on those attacking players saying that I've seen Wickham twice this season and I saw their last home game against Peterborough and I love their heart I love their spirit they've scored so many late goals it's no coincidence you know that they come hand in hand they just never give up this is going to sound controversial but I don't think they're that good I really don't. I think they've had a brilliant start to the season. But, you know, I saw them at home to South End in August and they were 3-1 down in that and somehow came back to win that 4-3 against a really poor South End team. And again against Peterborough, they finished 3-all. They got an injury time penalty to get something out of that game. But 
Peterborough will, will not know how they didn't win that game because, you know, they absolutely dominated. You know, credit to Wickham. You know, they, they managed to, to hang in there and get something from the game. But, but performance-wise, you know, Gareth Ainsworth is maybe getting the maximum out of the players available. But you look at it pound for pound, player versus player, Sunderland should win this game, really. Odds-wise on the games we've spoken about, Joe, Bolton versus Rochdale. Um, I know where your heart would put the money, but uh, but what are you saying in terms of professionalism? In terms of professionalism, Rochdale are favourites to win this. Uh, sadly, eleven to eight. Bolton fifteen to eight. <laughs> Bolton fifteen to eight. But not a, a much bigger price there to win and pick up the first win of the season. And the draw is twelve to five. What about Wickham versus Sunderland? Uh, Wickham are favourites to win this at six to four. Sunderland just behind at seventeen to ten. Again, that's another really close one in the betting, with the draw twelve to five. Right, sorry, League Two. I know you're always last up, and yes, that is happening again this week. But we are coming to you next. I promise. On Spotify, smart speaker, and podcast platforms everywhere. This is the Totally Football League Show from Muddy Knees Media. League two then, see, told you so. Headlines, Stevenage have won a game. A 2-1 win over Grimsby finally got them a vital three points, lifting them from the bottom of the table, replaced by Morecambe, who haven't won since the 20th of August. Could the longest serving manager in English football be on his last legs? We hope not. It only takes 18 minutes to score a hat-trick if you're Nicky Maynard playing an ill-disciplined Oldham who had two players sent off within a minute of one another in the first half after a couple of reckless tackles which Dino Marmaria branded bemusing and got to love managers blindly defending their players in the face of overwhelming visual evidence. It's why we're all here. And there's a new name atop the league after Crew Alexandra beat Carlisle 4-2. Um, Managerial-wise, Carl Fletcher, the name suggested for Leighton Orient. Sam, you were there with Quest at the weekend. Did you have a nice time? I did. It's really wet, actually. But Did you uh, get one of those donuts that Colin I did? had one and a half donuts. <laughs> I had half pre-match, and then I was brought one post-match as well. They were very nice, actually. What um, did you do with the spare half? One of the other guests had the other half. Okay, so it wasn't wasted. No, no, it was fine. Hang it was on, fine. you broke bread effectively with somebody from another football league podcast, is what you said. Yeah, I did. Yeah, I did. But that was after mm. that was that was after I'd beaten him at tech ball, which is essentially table tennis with a football. So I'd already taught him a harsh lesson. Abby, if we could get the legal department to have a look at Sam's contract and, and <laughs> if he's breached it in any way, it certainly feels like he might have done. Do you want me to talk about the game or just the donut? Uh, <laughs> donut. Sorry. No, just the donut. I mean, it looked nice. Uh, some good news. According to Mike Monet from the BBC, Macclesfield Town's players and staff have now had their salaries for September. Uh, Macclesfield will come on too soon, but I want to talk about Forest Green versus Mansfield first. Uh, fourth place Forest Green now after that defeat at Exeter at the weekend. Uh, but aside from Newport, who've played a match fewer, Rovers have the best defensive record in the league. They'll need to be on top form now. Nicky Maynard's rediscovered his goal-scoring touch, easing the pressure on John Dempster. Sam and I spoke to the Stags boss earlier, and I started by asking him about Saturday's game. We had a, a last-minute winner at Grimsby um, last week, which was was nice and needed. We performed well, but not to the levels that we probably picked up against Oldham on Saturday, where we were outstanding. Oldham ended up with two men sent sent off, but even before that, when we were up against eleven men, we were uh, certainly the dominant force without being disrespectful. And to get back to back wins is is massive, uh, especially at League Two level. Just looking ahead to um, Saturday, John, you 
obviously played for Mark Cooper at Kettering. What was he like then as a, as a manager and how has he evolved, I suppose, uh, since he's had such success? Yeah, well, we, we had a successful time at Kettering. Um, we were promoted from the Conference North into the Conference and then we had um, a couple of good seasons up in the Conference. So it was a brilliant time for me as a player um, and I learned a lot under Mark Cooper. He's certainly evolved as a coach and a manager, though, over the last few years because we were quite a direct side, quite physical, quite a tall side, and we played to our strengths where he's completely evolved now. At Forest Green, they're probably the best footballing side in our league. They play out from the back. Um, If it's not on to go forward, they'll go back to the goalkeeper, and at times they're a joy to watch. Um, So, yeah, to, to see how he's evolved over the last few years as a coach is is fantastic to see and I, I expect to see him managing at the top level in the next couple of years. John, does that mean because you're coming up against the Forest Green, we know how much possession they have, uh, how many passes they complete. Do you have to do something different on the training ground? Do you have to spend extra time, I suppose, focusing your players on, on, on setting up differently maybe against the Forest Green side? We'll certainly look at their strengths and weaknesses Thursday, Friday in training. But in the build-up to the Oldham game, a lot of our prep was about us and what we were going to do. Because I think it's important not to overload the players with too much information so they can go and play with a clear head and uh, play with freedom. At times this season, I've probably been guilty of, of giving too much information. But as a young manager, you live and you learn. And like I say, we'll respect Forrest Green in terms of their strengths, but we'll also be looking to exploit any weaknesses and any spaces we can find. Now, with it being 2019, I had a look at your LinkedIn page um, before we before we rang you. You got all your coaching badges, but you've also got a degree in sports writing. Was that something that you did in case coaching full time didn't work out, or, or was it always going to be supplementary? Yeah, as a younger pro, my parents were keen on me continuing with my education, and they've always pushed me to keep my options open and make sure that I've had a backup plan. So they've pushed me to, you know, get my my, um, initial coaching badges at a young age and have something to fall back on. But my passion's always been football. I want to work in football for as long as I can. But yeah, that was a a degree I completed um, a few years back. Um, It was put on through the PFA and they supported me through it as well, which was really good. But I've got no desire to go into journalism because I know what you guys are like. <laughs> <laughs> has, it, has it been a help to you knowing that side of, of the industry and how it operates? So when you come to do to do your post-match and looking ahead to games and, and stuff with, with the local journos on your patch, you kind of, you know what to expect from them. Yeah, I, I did um, a couple of columns in the in the local press. Um, I worked on with a local radio station as well. So it, it certainly gave me a kind of view from a different angle. And, and I suppose, yeah, looking back, it probably has helped me when dealing with the media and, you know, the different things that come with it. John Dempster, the Mansfield manager there. On good form, Sam, as have his team been in the last couple of weeks. Oldham helped them out to a certain extent, but starting to show a bit of the quality that we know they had and we expected really to see from the start of the season. Yeah, it'd be so interesting to see if that's now a catalyst. There's big threats in that team and it's 4-4-2 he's playing with kind of inverted wingers. They were a 3-5-2, 3-4-1-2 for the majority of the season. So he's changed the system. They've had a big victory. Let's see if they can go on from here. And we spoke about it actually at Leighton Orient. It didn't go to air, so I'm going to tell you about it. 
Barry Owen, who I believe is a director at Oldham, had given Nicky Maynard a little bit before the game and said he was on loads of money at, at Berry. We couldn't afford him. He decided to go to Mansfield. He's not exactly pulling up any plants, <laughs> which I'm not sure is the phrase, but he was certainly pulling up plants at the weekend. He got three in about half an hour. Speaking of plants and trees, Forest Green Rovers, Simon, uh, they've got Forest in the title and they're a green club, so it works as a segue. We enjoy what they do off the pitch. On the pitch, looking pretty good. I mean, we kind of thought without Christian Doidge, their promotion hopes have begun this season. But although they're not scoring many, they're still right up there. Best passes and the best possession stats in the division, if you're into that kind of thing. Uh, but another stat that maybe goes against them and that might make this game quite interesting is, despite the two red cards uh, for Oldham against Mansfield at the weekend, Mansfield, five red cards this season. Forest Green Rovers, four red cards this season, by far and away leading the red card count. And now John Dempster played under Mark Cooper at Kettering. Uh, two very competitive managers on the touchline as well. So, uh, yeah, nice friendly football club, but it might not be a friendly 90 minutes on the pitch. Elsewhere, it's a big day in the north. Reference there for Black Grape fans, if any. Uh, on Saturday, as Macclesfield head up the M60 to face Oldham. It's 21st versus 12th with Macclesfield... In 12, Simon, again, somewhat surprising. We weren't really expecting that from them. Yeah, definitely. And really nice of the club to pay them their wages this week as well. You know, at least they deserve. Uh, but a 2-1 win against uh, Port Vale at the weekend. And uh, one player who's uh, particularly caught my attention because, you know, he was thrown on the scrap heap by Cambridge in the summer, but popped up, scored the winning goal in that one. He's been a standout performer for them this season. Manny Osadebi, who you know, is an interesting case study. So I remember him a few years ago at Gillingham and he's one of these players who was in the Spurs Academy, got released and kind of, you can lose your way a little bit. But Macclesfield, you know, he's picked up by Sol Campbell, to be fair. But, you know, they seem to be getting the best out of him this season, having been let go by one of their divisional rivals. And, and yeah, they, they seem to be galvanised again this season and at the moment in a far better position than they were this time 12 months ago, just before Sol Campbell walked through the door. Uh, Port Vale having to kind of apologise Tom Pope on Twitter apologising to fans after such a what they considered such a poor performance against Macclesfield but I think that probably detracts from their own performance as well so yeah definitely overachieving and I think six points above Oldham coming into this game as well Oldham seemed like a, a bit of a car crash football club at the minute great to watch on the outside looking in in terms of you know Dino Mamria close to being their longest serving manager at the minute isn't he he's been there a month but results haven't turned around since he joined them from Stevenage yeah if there was a a bowl of metaphorical soup in League Two, Oldham would be firmly dunked in it. Sam, uh, is there any any hope for them doing anything but struggle for the rest of the season? I think this is as close to a must-win after 13 games that you can get. I think they're in big trouble. I look at what Dino Marmaria has done since he's gone there. Well, he's played pretty much every formation known to man, and that just shows you, I mean, that's not everything, but it doesn't half help when you've got a bit of consistency in selection and the way that you're sending your team out. So um, I'm not sure he knows his best team. Again, it's it's goals for me. I know it sounds so simplistic, but I know Misselu has been okay. He's got three goals and he performed pretty well at Mansfield the other day with one of the players to leave with a bit of credit. But I just don't see who's going to score for them. Yeah, you can get an even spread, but no one's doing it at the moment they could have done with Maynard coming in and pulling up those uh, plants that the director was on about <laughs> but I mean I think Wheat has arguably been their most consistent player to this point he's moved this week he's brought in John Dreyer um, as an assistant manager or, or first team coach 
and the Marmarias worked with him at Stevenage and Preston previously. So they're obviously <laughs> trying everything. But no, I think it's going to be a really difficult season considering the goals in Callum Lang that were lost in the summer. I think they've got to win this one or it's going to be a long, hard winter. At a club that I really like. I only spent about three months there as a young lad, 19 years old. But it's a proper club, Oldham. I loved it. And then I remember saying that it almost turned me into, you know, from a boy to a man. And it was a bit of a cliche, but I went up there and had a dressing room full of Scousers and Manx who, who is this flash bloke coming in and his pristine trainers with his pink jumpers on. And John Sheridan was in the team and he battered me every day in training. You know, I gave the ball away. But I look back on it with such fondness, scored a few goals in the end and had the opportunity to rejoin, uh, which didn't quite happen. But proper great football club with brilliant tradition. It's a it's a mess at the moment. And you hope for the supporters, good people, that they get back on the right track. Joe, sounds like we're tipping an away win at Boundary Park on Saturday then in the game between Oldham and Macclesfield. Are you feeling the same? We've actually got a home win as the favourite here at 6-5, to five, but uh, of all of the matches that we've touched on, this is the one that I fancy the outsiders the most, even more so than the Bolton-Rochdale game. Uh, Macclesfield a 9-4, to four, a very decent price, and the draw 12-5. to five. Forest Green Rovers versus Mansfield, that one must be pretty close. <laughs> You've got that right, yeah, 13-8 to eight for both teams to win. I tend to, uh, when, when we have the, the same price for the home team and the away team, I always tend to side with the away team if I'm having a bet on that game so they're both 13 to 8 with that in mind I would I would probably put my pound on Mansfield this weekend with the draw 23 to 10 Time's nearly up but with Clarky on assignment this week I've got high hopes for this final segment Simon what are you up to this weekend? This weekend, I'm back in the office at Quest, trying not to give away that I'm an Oxford fan when I do their voiceover, which you lot keep accusing me of throwing in way too many stats. So, uh, yeah, get my head down in there. Uh, Sam, you've got a hot Friday night date with uh, an up-and-coming, yeah. good-looking son of a gun. Dream Team's back together. Uh, Chelsea, what are they, Development Squad now? Under-23s, what's the Development official? Squad's the official title. Development yeah. Squad, Friday night, and then I've got two commentary games over the weekend from very different leagues uh, no EFL this weekend, but obviously we'll be across Simon's work probably on Saturday night and I'll probably watch it again on, on Sunday to see how his bias levels are. <laughs> Joe, I forgot to ask you last week, which was rude. Uh, sadly, there's no time to do so today. <laughs> uh, whatever you're up to, listener, I do hope you enjoy it. Caroline's back next week. Do join her and the boys then. If you can, I'll speak to you soon. You've been listening to the Totally Football League show, a Muddy Knees Media production. For sales and advertising, please email sales at muddykneesmedia.com. Keep up to date with everything across our Totally Football network at The Totally Show on Twitter. And make sure you check out our brand new website too, thetotallyfootballshow.com.